0: You are listening to Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering time, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we will be together this morning as we think about coming to the Lord's table together this morning. As you turn there, I want you to think about this number, uh, and that number is the number 41. 41. Uh, 41 minutes uh, is the average, the length of the average trip uh, to the grocery store. Uh, American households spend, on average, around 53 hours a year. Uh, In the grocery store. Now, as I read that this week, uh, I am convinced that if you have small children, uh, that trip gets uh, exponentially longer and more expensive. If you've ever uh, experienced uh, grocery stores with young kids, especially if they are crowder kids, Uh, the average household uh, spends just over four hours a week preparing, serving, and cleaning up after meals. Uh, It's fair to say that we spend a significant amount of time, a significant amount of uh, our lives thinking about preparing for uh, what we're going to eat, when we're going to eat, how we're going to eat. My favorite question uh, every day of the week is what is for lunch, right? I get excited uh, whenever lunchtime comes. So we spend a lot of time thinking about meals and thinking about eating and thinking about what we will buy and when we will buy it, and how we will cook it. So we spend a lot of time thinking about these meals, but I'm convinced that there's one meal that we don't spend enough time considering. There's one meal that we don't spend enough time thinking about, and that meal is the Lord's Supper. I'm convinced that we don't spend enough time thinking about, considering how we as believers come to the Lord's table to eat the meal that Jesus has provided for us. We, I, come to the Lord's table too often is just a ritual or a habit. Rather than as a place where I'm coming to be reminded of God's grace that has come to me in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, too often I come to the Lord's table just because I'm supposed to. I come to the Lord's table to eat the Lord's supper simply because that's what good Christian boys and good Christian girls do in good Christian churches. But this passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul has much to say about how we as believers come to the Lord's table together. So in this passage, we see this, that at the Lord's table, Jesus provides the meal and we prepare ourselves. At the Lord's table, Jesus provides the meal, and we prepare ourselves. And so let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious Word, beginning here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen here for you. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, the Spirit says to us this morning, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is God's Word. You can be seated. Would you pray, pray with me? Father, we are grateful that we can come together this morning. Father, we are grateful that we have been invited to sit at your table and to eat your meal. And so this morning, Father, we pray that you would instruct us on how to eat, how to live in a worthy manner. And so, Father, I pray that you would sink these truths of your word deep down into our hearts. It's in the perfect and wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, we see several ways that we are to prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table. The, The first is this, is that we come to the table confidently. We come to the table confidently. The Lord's Supper is an invitation to remember and celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross and what God has done for us. See, at the Lord's table, Jesus provides the meal and we prepare ourselves. Now, uh, this passage, right, this passage comes in the context of a larger letter. If you know anything about uh, the church at Corinth, the Corinthians that Paul is writing to here, uh, you know that the nicest way to say it is that they were a messed up church, right? They were divided uh, over Any number of things, they were tolerating sin and this tolerating sin and this division. It it wasn't just confusing themselves, but it was confusing the world around them. I'm always puzzled when I drive by a church and I see that it's named Corinth whatever church, and I always wonder, like, have you read the book, right? Have you read the Bible? I I wouldn't name my church after that. That's not the model I would be holding up. And so Paul writes to this church that is in trouble. He, he writes to this church that is in a mess. And one of the ways that they have started to be confused, one of the ways that they have started to divide was when it comes to the Lord's table. And so in this passage, Paul, he identifies the problem and then he gives the solution. So verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So what Paul's about to talk about here, this is not his own design. What Paul's about to talk about here, this is not a document that he has written for the best practices on how to take the Lord's Supper. Now, what Paul is writing here is what he has received from the Lord. Now, there's some discussion when Paul says what I received from the Lord. Is he talking about like a special revelation that the Lord gave to him concerning this issue, which we know Paul received several times through his ministry? Or is this something that was handed down, a tradition that was handed down from Jesus instituting the meal down through the teaching of the disciples? Well, we don't know for sure either way, but what we do know, no matter what, is that what Paul is saying here, he got from Jesus. Whether it was Jesus through someone else or whether it was Jesus directly, uh, this is not Paul's wisdom. Uh, this is Jesus' command. And so Paul goes on to rehearse the way that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night of His betrayal. Uh, look at verse 23, that in part he says, "...the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread." And so Paul rehearses this, that Jesus takes the bread and he he takes the cup and he tells the disciples that this bread, this represents my body that was broken for you or that will be broken for you. And then he blesses it and they eat. And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And so when my blood is spilled, your blood won't have to be spilled. And so as often as you drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. You know, in this COVID world that we live in right now, we, we're not taking bread and breaking it and handing it out. We take these little cups, but, but don't miss the significance of these little cups. Right, You take that wafer, and whenever you, you feel the, the crunch of that wafer in your mouth, or maybe even you break it in your fingers, that is to remind you that Christ wasn't... Uh, symbolically or figuratively broken for you? No, Christ's body was broken for us. Yes, sir. You know, there's a reason that whenever we take the Lord's Supper that, that we don't take it with like Ritz and Coke, right? <laughs> uh, ooh, 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 or Ritz and Coke Zero to make it even better, right? No, we take it with bread and with juice. Because that, that cup, right, the, the juice in that cup, it's red and it, it symbolizes, it reminds us, it, it images to us the blood that was spilt for us. And whenever we drink that cup, we, we drink that cup knowing two things. First, that Christ has drank the cup of the wrath of God's fury for sin. He drank every last drop of it. He turned it over and he said, it is finished. Right? and So because Christ has drank the cup of God's wrath, you and I do not have to, but also as we feel that juice in our mouth, we're reminded that Christ's blood was spilt for us violently. Right? Christ was murdered for you and for me. But here's the amazing thing, right? We go to Peter's sermon in the book of Acts, and what does he say? He says, you who crucified Christ according to the predetermined plan of God. So that Christ was broken and His blood was spilled for us, and it was God's plan. Uh, Isaiah 53 is uh, the, the servant song. It talks about this suffering, suffering servant. It's a messianic prophecy. And in there we read that it pleased the Father, the father to crush His servant. It pleased the father to crush the son because what we read in the rest of the New Testament is by his death, right, many sons, many daughters would come to glory. And so don't, don't skip past too fast what Paul does here whenever he, he rehearses what Jesus did at the supper when he instituted the meal. And he goes on and he gives this important qualification. He says, the bread is his body and the cup is his blood. Now there's been lots of discussion, lots of debate in the history of the church over what does it mean that the bread is his body and uh, the the juice is his blood. There are some traditions that will say that, that that bread literally, physically becomes the body of Christ. And that that cup, it, it literally, it physically becomes the blood of Christ. And they'll, they'll take it a step further oftentimes, and they'll say that we've got to re-sacrifice the body and the blood of Christ. But we know that Christ's sacrifice was once and for all. That on the cross, He said, it is finished, not it is started or it is begun. He said, it's over, right? But, but then there are others who they'll say, well, this bread and this cup is really nothing more than just a memorial. It's nothing more than just a symbol, uh, a picture of the reality. And so then you've got, you've got positions that, that run the spectrum. And so I believe that the best way to understand this is that the, the bread and the cup is both symbolic and spiritual. So the bread and the cup reminds us of what Jesus has done. Yet the, Lord, the Lord's Supper is far more than just for our memories. See, what we'll read later is that whenever we eat the bread, we drink the cup, we we come to the Lord's table, that we are proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. And, And here's what I believe, and I think the New Testament teaches this, is that anytime the gospel is proclaimed, the spirit is active. So, so anytime that we are preaching the gospel, whether it be we're sharing the gospel with a neighbor, or whether it be we're preaching the gospel in here on a Sunday morning, or whether it be we're taking the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit of God is active in our hearts and in our lives, applying the gospel in new and fresh ways to us. You might think about it like this. Have you ever been to Washington, D.C.? I, I enjoy going to D.C. I've been several times, and one of my favorite things to do in D.C. is to go to the memorials and the monuments because they are my favorite price, right? Free, right? I, that's why I enjoy it. But I love going to the monuments and, and checking out the different monuments and like, going to the Lincoln Memorial. You go to the Lincoln Memorial, and there's this huge statue of Lincoln, but then there's also quotes from Lincoln all around. And you walk down, you go past them all, and you come to the Korean War Memorial. On the Vietnam Wall. One of the most powerful experiences I've ever had uh, is walking through, uh, going through the Holocaust Museum. See, the Holocaust Museum is there uh, not just as a memorial, but it's also to instruct us, right? It's also to teach us. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is there, it's been given to us by Jesus, not just as a memorial, but also for our instruction. Right? It's there to remind us that Christ was broken for us and His blood was spilt for us. It's there to remind us of that. But it's also there to apply Christ's death in a new way. Because it's one thing to hear the gospel. It's another thing to see and to touch and to taste that Christ's body was broken for you and His blood was poured out for you. And so this meal, it is a symbol but there's also something spiritual about it right it's more than just a memory and this is why we can come to the table confidently we come because we as believers have received an invitation to meet with God we've been given an opportunity to be reminded that we are not accepted by God because of our own merits or effort but because of Jesus's merits Right, this meal, it reminds us that there is nothing that you or I have done to earn our seat at the table. Right, this, uh, this invitation, it doesn't come because of what you've done. Uh, maybe parents, maybe you've gotten that, that letter in the mail or that email or that phone call uh, where your son or your daughter, uh, they're invited to a banquet because they made A, B on a roll. Or they made a honor roll or whatever it may be. The invitation to this meal isn't because you've been good enough. You've been a good enough dad or a good enough wife or a good enough mom or a good enough husband or a good enough employee or because you've read your Bible enough or you've prayed enough. The invitation for this meal comes because Jesus paid the sin debt that we owe. And because of that, we can eat. Because of that we can experience God's grace as we come to the table and we can be reminded that Jesus died for me. One of my favorite songs is a song called Now Why This Fear. One of the lines is it is how sweet the sound of saving grace. Christ died for me. When we come to the table, maybe we hear that crunch or we we feel that juice in our mouth, man, how sweet the taste of saving grace, Christ died for me. That's what what this meal is teaching us. That's what this meal is driving home for us. And so at the Lord's table, Jesus provides the meal and we prepare ourselves. We come to the table confidently. Next we see this, that we come to the table joyfully. See, the Lord's table is not just an invitation to approach confidently. It's also a, a proclamation that we make joyfully. At the Lord's table, we, uh, Jesus provides this meal and we prepare ourselves and we prepare ourselves to be joyful preachers of Jesus' death until he comes. Look at verse 26. It begins with an important statement. Paul says, for often as you, or Jesus says, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. Every time we celebrate the Lord's supper, every time we come to the Lord's table, we are doing something. We're proclaiming the gospel, and we have to remember this. We should approach the table with seriousness. Paul unpacks this a little further in the passage, but the point here is that the way we approach the table, that we're doing something more than just eating some bread, some crackers and some juice. Now the phrase is often as you eat," it, it leaves a little ambiguity. Nowhere in the New Testament are we told this is how often you must come to the table. This is how often you should eat this meal. And so it's our practice here at Central that we come to the Lord's table. We take the Lord's Supper once a month, typically on the first Sunday of the month. Uh, Maybe you grew up or some churches, they'll do it once a quarter. Uh, Some churches will do it every week. One of the pushbacks I get when people talk about doing the Lord's Supper every week, they'll say, I just don't want it to become routine. I just don't want it to become a habit. You know, I've never told my wife, hey, you've kissed me too much this week. Don't kiss me anymore, (laughs) right? I've never said, hey, uh, when you hold my hand, it's starting to feel a little routine. So maybe let's put some distance between us, right? No, the Bible says as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. So it doesn't tell us, hey, you must do it this many times or you you should only do it this many times. It leaves it open. Right. It gives us grace and, and wisdom to figure out how uh, we're going to do it. But the point is, it's not how often we do it, but it's how we approach it when we do come to the Lord's table. Look at the next phrase of verse 26. He says, For often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. When we come to the Lord's table, we're proclaiming the gospel. We're preaching the gospel. Some of y'all didn't come ready to preach this morning. But what Paul says here is that when you take the table, when when you take the meal, you are proclaiming, you are preaching Christ's death until He comes. That word proclaiming, it literally means to make known. So whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are making the gospel known. Now here's what's interesting to me about this passage. Remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of believers. Now, we've already said it's a, it's a dysfunctional church. It's a messed up church. But if you were to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 1 and 2, you would see where Paul says, to the church at Corinth. If you were to go through and read the rest of the book, you would see where Paul talks about to the saints, at Corinth. And so he's writing to this church, and he says, as often as you do this, you proclaim the gospel. So the implication there is that whenever we come and we come to the Lord's table, we eat the Lord's supper, that we are proclaiming the gospel to one another. We're proclaiming the gospel to each other. If it's eaten in the context of the church with believers, then why do we need to proclaim the gospel to one another? Well, we do this because they and we need the Lord's Supper because we need to be reminded of the gospel, not only regularly, but also in varied ways. So our experience tells us that we're inclined to forget the gospel. We gather as a church each week, and we're reminded of the gospel with our lips. So whenever we sing, we're not only singing to the Father uh, responding to what He has done, singing truth that He has given us, but we're also singing to one another. Whenever we come and we sit under the authority of God's Word, we are hearing the gospel, we're being reminded of the gospel preached. So we're reminded of the gospel with our lips and with our ears, and whenever we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of the gospel with what we feel and what we see and what we smell and what we taste. See, Lord's supper, we proclaim the gospel to ourselves and to one another with all of our senses. Now, some of you have wonderful memories. Some of you can remember appointments and to-do lists and all that you need to accomplish over the next week without ever writing it down. And to be honest, I don't trust people like you, right? Uh, I've got trust issues. You know, when I go to a restaurant and there's 10 of us and we start making our order and the waiter or the waitress doesn't write it down, my flesh wells up inside me and I decide, I'm gonna make this as hard as I possibly can, right? This is a test, ma'am. Let's see what happens. But maybe you're like me and if you're gonna remember anything, you've gotta email yourself, You've got to write it on a sticky note. You've got to tie a string around your finger and put a dot on a freckle. And you, you just, you've got to do whatever you can to try and remember. See, at the Lord's table, we find the wisdom of God. He uses all five senses to remind us of the gospel. Because we're prone to forget it, we're prone to fall back into this. Default mode, this default position of the human heart where we start to implicitly or explicitly believe that God's pleasure with me is dependent on who I can be or what I can do or what I can accomplish. Right? That God will be pleased with me if I read my Bible enough this week. God will be pleased with me if I pray enough this week. God will be pleased with me if I do this and this and this and this. But friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that in Christ Jesus, God the Father is perfectly pleased with you. That in Jesus Christ, that there's nothing that you or I can do to make him love us more or to make him love us less. That in the gospel, what we find out, what we see, is that we are free to acknowledge our sin because Christ freely gives us His grace. And so because of that, we can come to the table joyfully. We can come to the table celebrating that Jesus Christ has died for us and we now have nothing to fear. We can come to the table celebrating that I don't have to wonder, is God going to accept me? Is God going to love me? No, we can come to this table celebrating because if God sent Jesus to die for you, Well, then you can take it to the bank that He loves you. Right? You can take it to the bank that He cares for you. You can take it to the bank that He provides for you. See, at the Lord's table, Jesus provides this meal that we don't earn, we didn't deserve, and we prepare ourselves to receive it. And so we come confidently, we come joyfully, and then we come to the table humbly. We come to the Lord's table humbly. See, Lord's table is a meal to celebrate the gospel. And any place that the gospel is celebrated is a place where pride goes to die. You can't celebrate the gospel while at the same time celebrating your own pride. You can't say, look at all that Jesus has done And then, with the same mouth, say, Look at all that I have accomplished. Because compared to Jesus, we've accomplished nothing. Martin Luther would say that the only thing that we have added to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Look at verse 27. Paul says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So what's happening here in verse 27 is Paul's connecting what he's about to say about taking the meal in an unworthy manner with the fact that when we eat, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. So if you look at verse 27, he says, whoever therefore, that word therefore is drawing us back to what he has said. So he's saying, So often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And because of that, then all of this is true. The argument goes like this. Since we're proclaiming Christ's death and resurrection when we eat this meal, anyone who eats with unconfessed sin is guilty of eating in an unworthy manner. So to eat in this way is a sin against Christ and His sacrifice. In other words, coming to the Lord's table is serious business that, shouldn't be taken lightly. Verse 28, he says that we should examine ourselves. Look at verse 20. He says, let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We should examine ourselves and then eat. And so we, we don't eat, the, we don't come to the Lord's table and then decide that we need to examine ourselves. right? We don't come to the Lord's table, eat the bread, drink the cup, and then think, I've got this sin and this sin and this sin. No. What Paul says is that we come to the Lord's table preparing ourselves. We come to the Lord's table recognizing that we're not here because we deserve it. We're here because we've been invited by Jesus who died on a cross in our place. And so that means that when we come to the Lord's table, that we should should be serious about what He's called us to do. You know, one of the things that the Lord just kind of convicted me on this week as I was working through this passage is that we, uh, as, uh, as church leadership, we need to be more intentional about communicating that, hey, this Sunday we're going to take the Lord's Supper so that we all can begin preparing our hearts, preparing ourselves to come to the table, not in an unworthy manner, but in a worthy manner. So we should examine ourselves. And we shouldn't be afraid of what we find. Maybe maybe you've had to look under that blanket or you've had to open that door and you're not sure what's back there. Like it's been a while since I've opened this closet. What's going to be in there? I can remember growing up, uh, we had a a shed kind of uh, in our our backyard and I would have to go out there and get stuff from time to time. And I was always concerned about, like, I'm going to open this thing and there's going to be a snake or there's going to be a a spider or there's going to be whatever. I don't have to burn the shed down, right? My dad's going to be mad. We get afraid of what we're going to find. And so Paul here, he says, let a person examine himself and then eat the bread and drink the cup. What he's saying is is that we can examine ourselves, we can examine our hearts, and not be afraid of what we might find. See, we can examine our hearts, we can examine our lives, and we don't have to be afraid of what we're going to find because our God has already found it. We can't hide anything from Him. And what the gospel teaches us is that not only has our God already found what we're afraid to see, but that he's provided forgiveness for it through the gospel of Jesus. And so we can examine ourselves and not not fearing that, well, if I find this, then God won't love me. Or if I find that, then I won't be worthy. Here's the truth. God already knows it's there. And at the end of the day, none of us are worthy to come to the Lord's table. On our own, none of us deserve to be there. But because of God's grace, we've been invited to come. We've been invited to come and to taste and to see and to smell and to feel that the Lord is good and that the gospel is true and that Jesus has died in our place. And we can celebrate that. And so when we we inspect our lives, whenever we examine ourselves, we're not afraid of what we'll find because Christ has already made payment for it. So we've got to remember that, that we can come confidently, we can come joyfully, but we've got to come humbly as well. Now we need to remember the context of this passage. So the, the immediately preceding verses show that there was division in the church, and it was particularly, there was some sort of division happening around the Lord's table. So if you were to jump, jump back up and you were to look at verse 20, Paul says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. He says, look, you come together and you're saying that you're eating the Lord's Supper. You are not eating the Lord's Supper. It might look like it, but you're not doing it. If You, you keep reading there, he says in verse 21, for an eating... Each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another goes drunk. He keeps going. He says, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so the the Corinthians, they're coming to the table to eat this meal. What they think is the Lord's Supper, but what Paul says is you're doing it all wrong. I'm not going to commend you in that because what you think you're doing, you're not actually doing because there's division among you. And if we were to keep going, we would see that this division is between brothers and sisters. And so, verse 29, he tells the Corinthians, he says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So, that body that he's talking about there, without discerning the body, this is a play on words that Paul's doing. And he's talking about the body of Christ, the church. So anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, in other words, without discerning what your relationship is with other believers, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. He's telling them to examine themselves and their relationships within the church, within the body of Christ, and that the danger of not doing this is real. See, eating with unconfessed sin and with fractures between yourself and other believers ultimately leads to judgment, not grace, from the Lord's Supper. At the Lord's table, we're not coming to a family reunion with crazy Uncle Bill and weird Aunt Sally who we are going to avoid, but then we're going to talk about later. Now at the Lord's table, we are coming together with brothers and sisters to celebrate the gospel of Jesus with our brothers and sisters. And so failing to mend those relationships, failing to bring those broken relationships under the lordship of Jesus Christ preaches a false gospel that the death of Jesus can reconcile us to God, but it can't reconcile us to one another. That's blasphemy. To say that, yeah, Jesus' death can make me right with God, but Jesus' death says nothing to my conflict with this person or that person. What Paul is saying, now, you've got to bring that to Jesus. That relationship within the church that you think is so broken that there's no hope and there's no help, that in the gospel of Jesus there is hope and there is help for those who need it. There's hope and there's help for those who throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. And so we've got to examine our lives. We've got to confess and we've got to repent. In verse 30, we see the consequences of eating in an unworthy manner. He says, that's why many of you were weak and ill and some have died. See, what this teaches us is that God takes sin incredibly seriously might say it like this, that God takes sin deathly seriously. That that broken relationship, that division between you and another brother or you and another sister, whether it be in this church or in another church, that that sin is a sin that God takes seriously. Because the church isn't to be a place of division, it's to be a place of unity. It's to be a place where we are all bringing ourselves, humbling ourselves at the foot of the cross, bringing ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and now we're counting one another as more significant than ourselves. So in verse 30, we have these serious consequences, but they come with a promise. Look at verse 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What he's saying there, if we would examine our own hearts, we wouldn't be judged by God. Verse 32, he goes on, he says, but when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So what he's saying there is that when we examine our own hearts and we bring our sin, we bring our failures, we bring our brokenness to the Lord, that he doesn't judge us, but instead he disciplines us. And that discipline is a sign that he loves us. It's better to be disciplined in this life now than to be condemned for all eternity. It's better to be disciplined now than to wonder what might happen or what will happen. See, we could go on, we read in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And so a lack of discipline in your life from the Lord, a lack of conviction in your life from the Lord should really cause you to question it should cause you to pause this is something that we dealt with in my uh, we deal with this regularly uh, in my house I've got uh, small kids they they're in school and oftentimes they'll come home and they'll want to do something and we'll say no or not right now and they'll say but so-and-so's mom lets them do this so, so-and-so's so parents let them do this and my response to them is pretty much the same well it's so-and-so's last name Crowder right? I'm not their daddy, I'm your daddy. See, sometimes we might look around and, and we, might, we might feel conviction about a sin in our life and we might look at the world and say, well, well, look, they're prospering in this, they're getting away with it, they're doing it. And you know what the Lord says to us? He says, yeah, but they're of the world. You have been called, you have been chosen, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And so they might do it, but you've been made new. But what Paul says in Romans is that you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And so that discipline, that conviction that we feel, that is to be celebrated because that means that we belong to Jesus. And that means that, that we have been saved, we've been bought, we've been forgiven. We belong to Him. See, at the Lord's table, Jesus provides the meal and we prepare ourselves. And so we come confidently and joyfully and humbly. See, the Lord's table is an opportunity for us to celebrate what Jesus has done and to be reminded again that His body was broken for us and His blood was spilled for us. It's an opportunity for us to literally, in the most real way possible, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. And so here in just a few minutes, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. Here in just a few minutes, we are going to come to the Lord's table. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper today, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Uh, To pray and to ask the Lord to work in your heart. Uh, Ask Him to reveal where you need Him to work, where you need His grace to examine and to prepare yourself. Because here's the thing, uh, this examining, this examination that we do, that is grace-driven. It's only because of God's grace that we can see our own sin. It's only because of God's grace that we can examine our own hearts. And so as we come to the Lord's table, as we sing, maybe you just need to stop and you need to pray and you need to ask the Lord to reveal in your heart where you have sinned. Maybe you need to get before the Lord and you need to humble yourself and you need to ask Him to peel back the layers of your heart and to show you where, where you need His grace. Maybe today you'd say, Ethan, you've talked about Jesus and maybe you found yourself here because someone invited you or someone brought you. Maybe today you would say, Ethan, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As we come to the table, I'm going to ask you not to eat and not to drink. No no one's going to think less of you. But I'm going to ask you not to because I don't want you to eat and drink judgment on yourself the way Paul talks about here. Maybe say, Ethan, I need to talk to someone about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to, to bring my life and my heart under the lordship of Jesus? Well, hey, you've come to the right place. We want to talk to you about that, right? We would love to celebrate with you. We would love to talk with you, lead you to Jesus. We're going to be baptizing here in a couple weeks. We would love to baptize you and to celebrate, help you get on that, uh, that next step, that path of following Jesus. We would love to walk with you on that. We'd love to connect with you there's a couple ways that you can do that we're gonna have a number here on the screen you can send a text to 407-338-4024 there's someone on the other end of that line who is ready to talk with you who's ready to start that conversation you, you can head out these doors hang a right into our next steps room there's people in there who are ready to talk with you about what does it look like to follow Jesus or you can come find me after the service you can come come find uh, someone in a hello shirt, we would love to talk with you a little bit more about what does it look like to follow Jesus. We're going to pray and i just going to ask you to humble, humble yourself before the Lord and, and ask Him to work in your heart and in your life and to reveal where you need His grace so that we can come to the table together as a church and we can taste and we can feel and we can see and we can smell that the Lord is good And He gives forgiveness to all who call upon His name. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the gospel. Lord, we're grateful for this meal that we can come to and we can celebrate the fact that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. Father, we come before you today confessing that we are sinners and we are in need of a Savior and we are grateful that Jesus has come. Jesus has died in our place taking the penalty for our sins and he rose again three days later so that we could be made right with you, so that we could have forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And so, Father, I pray that we would know and we would celebrate that and we would see that today. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to examine our hearts and to see where there may be sin. To see where there is sin. And, Father, I pray for those who are in here this morning who have yet to bow their knee, who have yet to call on you to save them, to call on you to forgive them. God, I pray that today would be the day that they do that. God, I pray that today would be the day that you change hearts and lives. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how you can take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.